All around the world, people are floundering. There's something missing, something more that they just can't grasp. Do you feel it too? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Every week, host Kevin Monroe will help you navigate to your true north and flourish in faith, business, and life. You found us for a reason. Stay tuned to find out why. Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to episode 16 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Hey, today I'm joined by Zach Mercurio. Zach's become a friend of mine. We originally met on Twitter. Zach was a guest in our recent Navigating North Summit, and he's returned to connect with me today on the Higher Purpose Podcast to talk about his brand new book, The Invisible Leader, Transform Your Life, Work, and Organization with the Power of Authentic Purpose. So let's jump right in to this conversation with Zach and hear what he has to say. Welcome, Zach Mercurio, author of an excellent brand new book, The Invisible Leader. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. It's great to connect again and this time to focus on this new book. So I want to say congratulations on a job well done, Zach. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. So before we begin discussing your book, help our listeners to know you a wee bit better. What, what's something that's not always used or shared when people are introducing you that would help to get us to know you a little better? You know, I think something that's, that's funny is that I'm in this space, I talk about purpose a lot, but ma- many people don't understand that I've already had like four or five major careers, I guess you could say, in my life. And so I really, I started out as a, I was a journalism uh, major in my undergrad. I was in advertising sales. I worked in uh, higher education after that, got my master's in higher education administration. Then I worked in training and development. And now I'm getting a, a doctorate in organizational learning, performance, and change. And I work in, sometimes in the private sector and do a lot of work in the corporate sector. And uh, I always tell that to people because they think that, you know, because I do this work, I've had it all nailed down, you know, <laughs> had it all figured out. But I use that to say, you know, that, that pur- purpose, what we're going to be talking about today is really transcendent to a lot of different delivery systems. Yeah. So my purpose has remained consistent in helping people to achieve the, their visions for themselves and discover more about their potential, but it's manifested in higher education, in corporations, and all of these other delivery systems. So I think it's just helpful for listeners to know that, you know, even us as people who talk about purpose haven't had that whole delivery system thing figured out and nailed down, and that's okay. Okay, so that, that, that brings up another question I love asking, and, and I wasn't necessarily going to ask you today, but let's, let's talk about I, it. Did I tee it up for you? Teed it up, uh, and I think I know the answer, but your journey, more of a straight line or a zigzag to finding Zig, Zigzag. Thank you. <laughs> zigzag, swirl, uh, whirlpool. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's most people, most organizations' journeys to discovering purpose. Well, and, and I did want to bring that up because so many people, they hear a story and they think, well, it's always been that way. And this person's always had the, the amount of clarity they have now. Or as I was right. talking to a gentleman the other day, you know, um, who had become an overnight sensation or success, you know, it was a 30 year journey, but people just discovered someone in the last weeks and they think, oh, 
you became a success overnight or you found your purpose or you've always had it. But no, it's a journey, a long journey. It's a journey. And I like to say it's a descent journey. You know, we're like ascension based, like at the next career, get the next job. You know, what am I going to do to get a lot of views on YouTube or whatever it is, depending on who you are. But it's really that underneath the surface, that's where that purpose work is happening, that internal work. Most of the time, that's not expressed. Your expression of your purpose becomes what people see. But that purpose work inside, you know, both as individuals and organizations is, is where you are. You're the architect of that expression expression and it takes a lot of time and a lot of thought and a lot of reflection okay so you wrote this book the invisible leader i love it zach that's a clever title now i've known a lot of people who said they've worked for an invisible leader because the boss always disappeared was never around just barked orders is that the invisible the type of invisible leader you're writing about in this book no, and funny, I just figured that out that people use that term because I was, you know, I searched it on Twitter and I found they were talking about politicians who didn't show up for votes and things and that they were the invisible leader. And no, that's not the invisible leader that I'm talking about. The, the concept of the invisible leader really stems from a social worker management consultant in the late 1920s named Mary Parker Follett in she adopted this new style of leadership where it was less about people and more about purpose. And she said this, she said, leaders and followers are both following the common purpose, the invisible leader. Mm -hmm. So the invisible leader that I'm talking about is the common other-centered reason for existence, that purpose that pulls us forward and inspires that striving more so, and research has found more so than any person can, any result can, that uh, we traditionally look to as leaders. So the invisible leader is the other-centered purpose. Okay, I love this. And, and so that taps into this notion that, that some have written about um, of, of, followership, of followership. So you're mm -hmm. suggesting that even the person that is carrying the title or position or holds the office of leader, in this concept of the invisible leader, they too are a follower. We're all following the, in, the true invisible leader, which is our purpose. Yeah, and it, it levels the playing field in organizations. Uh, one example uh, from the invisible leader that I had done some research with was a football team here in Colorado. And it was the University of Colorado's 1990 championship football team. And I went and looked at how they achieved that championship. And interestingly enough, two years before that, 1988, they were around eight and four, mid-conference, not doing too well. Traditional leadership theories don't really account for what happened in the next two years. Coaches remain the same. Talent levels remain the same. But what happened in 1989 was the, one of their star young quarterbacks named Sal Ayunis began showing up to practices vomiting uncontrollably. And his teammates brought him in, checked him into the hospital. And they found that he had stage four stomach cancer that had, you know, metastasized. And he vowed that he would come back and play. And uh, they developed this purpose of playing for Sal. He ended up passing away midway through the 1989 season, but they would still go to the center of the field. They'd all point up and they'd say, we're playing for Sal. It became this invisible leader, this common purpose. No matter the position, the skill level, the coach, the position, everybody fused together and became guided by this. Well, they went 11-1 and one that year, and then the next year they won the national championship. And in talking with their quarterback coach from that time, he says the bus sort of drove itself. 
Wow. So that's what I mean by like, we hear those terms, like the bus drove itself. And when you hear that, think about what was going on. And usually it's that people transcend to something bigger that guides them. So that that's an illustration I think was really powerful for me to dig into that helps to show what the invisible leader is. Okay. And then you also use the word that I enjoyed a lot, authentic purpose. Yes. So, so there's one thing I wonder, okay, uh, I want you to talk about authentic purpose and then what authentic, what's the opposite of authentic purpose? Is that like plastic purpose? <laughs> I mean, I'll, maybe I'll start with the opposite because okay. the opposite of authentic purpose is default purpose. Mm. And what I mean by default purpose is that so often we're pressured, whether as individuals or organizations, we're pressured to adopt someone else's purpose. I see this all the time. I teach college students, you know, undergraduates who uh, have become in some ways really excellent sheep. They're really good at following other people's plans for their lives. Excellent. You know, the course catalog, those types of things. And we, we face those temptations often when, when someone else tells us who we should be, how we should be, what we should do, we tend to default into that. Um, and that's that default purpose or, or to be successful or get ahead, we adopt someone else's purpose. Uh, in organizations, for example, you see that with what I call now why washing, where the purpose has become so popular that we say, oh, well, what's our competitor doing? Let's do that. But it was never who we were to begin with. So that's, what, that's the opposite of authentic purpose. It's a default purpose. It's sometimes when you copy it for gains, but authentic and again, I go to the dictionary for everything now because it's, it's really nice because they have definitions of words in them. And it says genuine or real. Your genuine, real reason for existence, that's you, not other people. And it takes a lot of work to strip out all of those external labels and forces to find that central, authentic purpose. So that's, that's that difference there between default purpose and authentic purpose. Okay. That, that prompted me. I had to to, to retrieve sure. quotation. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but what you were saying about that, and then even what you started about your own journey, Joseph Campbell. If you can see your path laid out in front of you, step by step, you know it's not your path. Your own path you make with every step you take. That's why it's your path. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that, and I, I've also heard like your path only exists by you walking it. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that's, that's powerful. Yeah. So we, we do have this why washing going on and, and you know, every, yep. how many companies have jumped on the why wagon, which guys like you and I, we love because we want to see people really passionate about purpose, but their purpose, their authentic purpose. So, mm. so why do we so urgently, well, first off, let me ask, do you believe, I think you actually use these words, that we urgently need authentic purpose as a leadership style now, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Why? Think Why so. do we need it now? Well, you look at, you know, I, and I know this has been thrown around a lot, but you look at the Gallup engagement results. I mean, this is a, this is a engagement survey that's administered to people to self-report their engagement. And just 13% of the world's workforce in organizations is self-reporting pride and enthusiasm in their work. You know, and I take that a step further. A couple of years ago, I, I read that statistic and it just started like really gnawing at me because 
I was like, these people go home. You know, they have friends, they have families, they have lives. They are our society. And so if people are spending, you know, 40 to 50% of their waking lives in a place where they don't feel prideful or enthusiastic, what does that mean for us as human beings? And at that same time, we know, I mean, through research since the mid-1950s, really going all the way back to the 15th century, that, that a common trait of human beings is a yearning for meaning and purpose. And so there's a gap there. And when we connect people with a purpose, research finds that they're more prideful, they're more enthusiastic, they're more motivated as a result of the purpose, not as a result of chasing those things in the first place. So I think that engagement piece really stood out to me because that not just the work piece, but that it transcends into other areas of, of people's lives. That reminds me of a story, Zach. I don't, I don't want to get lost on it. I'll just make it real quick. I, I knew a, a guy that was working with the DMV in a particular state, you know, the Department mm. of Motor Vehicles, where you go to get your driver's license. And in most states, that has some horrific ramifications with it. You know, you're like, you're kind of like, a, <laughs> right, right. I'm going to get my license, honey. I'll be back, I don't know, this month, this week. We'll see. Five years. Uh, five years. Uh, but it was so bad that the employees wouldn't even go out at lunch because they had to wear, um, uh, you know, embroidered shirts and, and they didn't want people spitting in their food or mm. you know, dogging them because they associated them with this bad thing. Now, fortunately, in that state, they let a turnaround. And now when people go there, they're amazed. They're like, hey, I, I went to DMV and I mean, I was there like two minutes, you know, wow. like, and it's just been a complete revolution uh, of that. Absolutely. And, you know, like I, I think of these people often, like people who work at the DMV. I mean, essentially, they're issuing documents which enable people to efficiently live their lives. You know, what if people at the DMV thought about and were trained every day that, that they are issuing documents which allow people to take their kids to school, mm. to uh, provide for their family, go grocery shop? I mean, because that's what they do by default. We just bury that down into the systems. And so, um, you know, your example, because I do work with a lot of frontline workers, is really poignant for me because they do have a purpose. You know, every time I go into one of those places, I know people have that perception. I'm like, if they, if they could see it, yeah. what getting this license is enabling me to do just with my kids and family, I mean, that would be powerful. And that's, that was one of the prime motivations for really writing this book. Good, good. So I, I want to draw something and then draw something out of the book. One, you and I met through Twitter. You talk about Purpose Connects. Mm. That's something I've seen. And, and I see that happen again and again. Purpose Connected us on Twitter. Our, our paths just crossed. I don't even remember how, but it's been a couple of mm. years. We mm -hmm. find one another and, and we find, you know, a, a, a comrade, a colleague doing the similar kind of work. And then uh, just a few weeks ago, I interviewed you for the Navigating North Summit we were doing, and you shared a story there. I love the story of your awakening to purpose, Zach. So share that with us, because once again, that happened in one of these unusual ways. And not, you know, you're not sitting in an auditorium um, on the quest. I mean, you have an unusual encounter with someone you didn't expect to be the purveyor of purpose that day. In my life, my purpose has been shaped by ordinary people with an extraordinary perspective. Yeah. 
and with extraordinary perspectives. And that extraordinary perspective has always, in hindsight now and reflecting on this, has always been rooted in purpose. And I was in my first job out of college. I was an advertising salesperson. And I was on this team. They were obsessed with results, money, targets, sales goals, quotas, getting as much money out of clients as possible. Never, they never talked about, you know, we are actually enabling people to live their dreams by opening their restaurants, by providing them advertising, right? Which is what we did and why we did it. But I, I was really struggling, struggling. I mean, I, I, was, I was almost near literally depression and burnout and, and just the opposite of engagement, which is despair, really. And I left work for a couple hours and I went down to this parking lot in Washington, D.C. And I'm there, you know, it was a hot summer day and this cab driver pulls up next to me, gets out of the cab and says, hey, how's it going? And on the East Coast, you don't make small talk during the day, or at least in D.C. And I said, oh, you know, it's not going, it's not going well. And I mumbled something that haunts me to this day about our whole society. I mumbled, is it the weekend yet? And it was Tuesday at the time. And I, I realized almost in a split second how astounding it is, how many people live for two-sevenths of their lives. But so the, the cab driver, I said, it's the weekend. And I said, how's it going for you? And he said, it's great amazing gave me the most genuine smile you know to this day i still remember it's great he goes i get to talk to people from around the world every half an hour and drive a car around the nation's capital you can't beat it i remember he was smoking a cigarette tossed the cigarette down got in his cab smiled at me and left and i it was that moment where i was like wow like it's not about what we do it's not about the things that we do or the things that we get for what we do that it's about why we do it and that I was emotionally compelled by this guy's work. He didn't say my life is awesome. I'm a cab driver. He said he's a traveling conversationalist. Yeah. And he just happens to drive cabs. Mm. And it was since that moment that I wanted to make sure nobody ever ended up like me again and was able to, or that team I was working with at the radio station, uh-huh. that people asked that why question and not only asked it, but could answer it mm. to elicit that same emotion that I felt towards that cab driver. Okay. So th- there's a cab driver who, inspires you you know and it's really funny you don't even know the guy i I know i really don't i don't know him i you couldn't find his address i I would never be able to thank him unfortunately hope he's listening right now i hope he is too um and and that's one of the things i realize zach when when i look at this the awakeners that often the awakeners in our lives they they never know that they were the one that awakened us you know it, it was a chance encounter like that uh and you just had this and wow the guy's on his way and Zach Mercurio's life is changed mm. dramatically out of this, you know, what some air quotes around chance encounter conversation with a cabbie. Now, let's fast forward. When you start getting into your research and you start working about this, I love the story of Mary. You know, hearing mm. mm-hmm. someone else from outside perspective, when you have that hierarchy of the world and that that you're talking about the ascent, and all of a sudden we have placed people in a um, we've uh, gradations of mm. meaning, which often we look at some work and we say that is degrading or menial work, which you and I don't use that phrase, but other people right. talk about that. There's Mary that infuses meaning into what others would consider one of the most menial tasks. So tell us about Mary. I love this story, Zach. 
You know, she was my first interview I ever did as a PhD student. And I was doing a pilot project on how people find meaning in their work. And I was really compelled by people who do what society has relegated as dirty work. Yeah. And uh, I went in and I, I went in to interview her and I had this nice interview script prepared and I looked at her HR file and I, I saw that she had worked herself up to a supervisor position, 25 plus years being a janitor, scrubbing the floors, hallways, toilets of university dormitories. Mm-hmm. And I, I see on the bottom that she retired and then came back out of retirement to be an entry-level janitor again. So I'm sitting there and you know I threw my script away and I just said, Mary, why? Why would you leave retirement? I mean, you've worked incredibly hard you know, to get to where you're at. She's someone who had a low socioeconomic status outside of work, tough life. And she looked at me and she said, Zach, you know, I was at home and I couldn't stand the thought of those kids in the dormitory not having a parent figure away from home. Mm. And wow. it was so clear to her, right? It, it was so clear that that person, and that's what I, that's the invisible leader. It was such a powerful psychological force that it literally pulled her out of retirement to do the job, a menial job, quote unquote, again. And what I learned from her is that she was able every day to see that her work deeply mattered in the world, that it mattered to somebody else. Again, it wasn't about what she did. You know, there, in the research, you can look this up. It's really powerful. It's called job crafting. She yeah. was able to craft her work as meaningful psychologically, uh, in ways that some don't or some can't or haven't been prompted to do. And I started thinking about, you know, after I was talking with Mary, I was said, you know, some people have told me, Zach, that's one perspective, you know, that we all matter and that our work is important no matter what we do. And then I started considering, I was like, well, what's the alternative? Yeah, yeah. And there really is not a viable alternative, whether in the research or in, in our everyday logic. And so, that was powerful for me that she had crafted her work as meaningful by focusing on the human being that was at the end of what she did. All right, Zach. So I have to tell you, and I have to tell uh, you listening, I always love talking with Zach, even though I've only talked to him twice. I mean, we've, we've tweeted through the years, but I love yeah. this connection. In this conversation, I think I just had an epiphany, Zach. Now I'm going to share it. Uh, because Wow. Truly, only you can determine whether or not your job is menial or not. Right. You know, someone else has said it's menial. They've put a menial label on it, but you don't have to own that. You don't have to accept it as menial. You, you can transform that what others look as menial, and it could be, for Mary, the most meaningful job or meaning-filled job on the planet. And it was her perspective. Absolutely. Wow. She was able, what she was able to do and something that we can all learn to do was she was able to imagine her impact every day. Wow. You know, I'm sure she didn't get in, uh, she didn't get a note or an email that says you changed my life, but there is a student out there that probably stayed at the university because of her. You know, there's a student out there who did well on an exam because of her. They had a bathroom, they had a place to stay that was clean. And she was able, after talking with her, she was able to imagine that. Imagine that student going off, getting that degree, making their impact, and she was able to put herself in that person's story. And we have millions of stories in our lives that we're a part of, and we have to be able to have enough self 
uh, you know, almost self-love and self-respect to be able to put ourselves as meaningful movers in people's stories. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question that you ask others. I didn't know this about you till I'm reading the book. What have you done to change the world today, Zach? Well, I mean, what I have done, like for, for an example, you know, this morning I get up and I'm working with a university on helping restructure, helping create a vision that's rooted in purpose. And I emailed this guy, Skip, a proposal. And he's taking it to his vice president, you know, to get approval to have me come in and do this purpose work. And I think, you know, it's Monday, you're getting all these, you know, the nitty gritty done. But I constantly have to think that there is going to be a student yeah. who is going to be in one of these faculty members' classrooms who can know and feel that, you know, Colorado Mountain College, which is who I'm working with, exists to help people better themselves. Mm. And, and I think, and then the faculty feel better about their roles, you know, so I think it's always just keeping it visible. You know, I, I keep my, um, you know, every day I sort of write down, I have a little quote uh, that I just really focus on that helps me get out of my own head and start thinking outwardly. Yeah. Because even me and people like me and you who get this stuff, it is I, when I sometimes I'm talking to people doing a keynote and I'll say, I love doing this keynote because I'm teaching myself again. Yeah. And I think that it's a, it's a, with any habit, you have to work that muscle of empathy and purpose. And I think that that's, that's what I get to do every day. So I'm glad you asked that question because just asking me that question right now, here I am doing the exercise, you know, working on it, attaching it. You can ask that anytime, any part of your day. And if you can find something, Man, it just like I have chills thinking about this proposal I just sent, but it's a powerful question. So it's imagining the impact. See, just see this moment as in the ripple effect of time in history and, and that what you're doing now sets something else in motion and we may never see the full reach of it, but it's, it's changing the world. Yeah, I mean, so we love the idea of this, like we make movies about it, you know, called the butterfly effect and pay it forward. But what people, we have to actually wrap our heads around and reconcile is the butterfly effect is a real phenomenon. Like this guy at MIT in 1969 went in and he put in these two uh, inputs into a weather model. And it was off by two one hundredths of a decimal point, one uh, weather model versus the other one. And the forecasts completely diverged for three months. Wow. So literally everything and we're part of the system is contingent upon everything else. So this idea, this belief that we matter, which some may see as like, oh, well, that's really nice, all and good. I say, well, it's just a scientific fact that like we have a contingent effect on everything else. So if we apply that to ourselves, that belief that we matter is really where purpose is rooted. Okay, so not our listeners, but, but you know, you listening, you know someone that thinks all of this stuff is fluffy. Not you, but you know someone that thinks this is fluffy. So, uh-huh. Uh, Zach, you've encountered these people. How do you respond to people, you know, that, that just go, oh, gosh, you're so Pollyanna-ish or whatever, you know, whatever the phrase is they use. But they just get a, get, get a grip, man. That This stuff is not real. It's not. It, so what, how do you respond to those leaders who think the work you and I do is fluffy? So I can get away with this because uh, I'm in, I do part of my life in academia, but I literally – the first thing I do is do a psychological experiment on them. <laughs> and I'll okay. tell you how. There's this animation. Anybody can use it. You Google Hyder and Simmel. And it's a, it's a study of random shapes moving around on a white screen. But what happens is you show it to people. 
and they come up with these emotional grand stories, even the most hardened purpose critics. And this is a triangle moving around, a circle moving around, a black, and they're just one dimensional. There's nothing, it's like a horrible animation. They all come up with really complex stories and it proves time after time, no matter who I'm working with, that our brains, we are wired to search for meaning and purpose. And I tell them, I was like, look at what your brain just did. In an instant, you tried to make purpose out of this chaos on this, on this screen. And that's how our lives are. Every day at work, your, your people, your employees are trying to make meaning. Your, your uh, family, your spouse, your kids, we're all trying to make meaning out of things. And what happens when we can get people to explicitly state a meaning, to give a story to attach all their tasks to, it's incredibly powerful in helping align those actions and attitudes in that context. So I use that. If I were just talking to someone, you know, and they were like, Zach, you know, this is, this is fluffy. I, I, I often ask them, I say, hey, when, describe for me one time in which you felt like your work mattered. And, you know, they'll say, oh, well, when I was doing this for someone else or when I was solving a problem. No one has ever said, oh, when I got that paycheck, I really felt like my job mattered. Hmm. Or when I got that direct deposit or got that benefit or closed that big deal. Yeah. Like, so people, I love when people discover it themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tangible benefits. Are there any to living a life of purpose? Yes. And the benefits, um, you know, a lot of times we have a mistaken view of what precedes what. You know, oftentimes, for example, we think, if we pursue happiness, we'll achieve happiness. But uh, Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, talks about how happiness, just like success, can't be pursued. It must ensue. Mm -hmm. And it only does as the byproduct to the service of something beyond yourself. And research has found that repeatedly, that, that those who put a purpose, another person, at the center of what they're doing, actually experience more contentedness. They're more fulfilled. The National Institutes of Health studied people who were uh, in their older years and um, elderly people. And what they found was that people who had a sense of purpose, a duty to another person outside of themselves, had a 23% reduction in mortality rates. They lived on average seven years longer. Uh, people in the workplace are four times more engaged, more content. And you can see this. I mean, as we've been talking about these stories, you can see like if you're like Mary and you get up on Monday morning and you feel as though you're changing the trajectory of a college student's life instead of you're going to clean toilets, you can just imagine that impact already. And you may have felt something when you heard that story, if you're listening, that's purpose. Mm. And the more we feel that, the more dopamine we release, which is our pleasure um, neurotransmitter, the better we feel and the more productive we are as a byproduct of living a purposeful life. Okay. So a lot of your work is around organizations. Yeah. Which I love. So where and how do people in organizations get confused about purpose? I think that people, well... So I do a lot of work with organizations, but I have to say that organizations are just individuals who organize. <laughs> so if we understand, you know, what compels individuals, we can understand what compels organizations. And one of the things that gets confused at both an individual level and therefore at an organizational level is the confusion between results and purpose. Oftentimes people say, oh, meeting a quarterly sales goal, that's our purpose as our team or profit or getting a paycheck um, or, you know, increasing shareholder value. 
And the big distinction is that all of those things are just results of delivering your purpose. It is very hard for people to answer this question in organizations, especially leaders, that outside of what you do, how you do it, or what you get for what you do, why do you exist? And when we detach results and what we get from that purpose, we, from um, when we're thinking about purpose, we uncover that true you know, reason beyond all those things. So that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is they confuse results and purpose. Wow. Okay. You know, I've shared here that you and I have a lot of things in common. I was reading your book and I realized there's another similar perspective we share. I say it a little differently than you do, and I don't really remember how you word it at this moment. So I'm going to let you, I'll give you my wording. Okay. Little things matter most, but we don't know what little things going to matter most to whom when, right? So it's all these just little things we do that really create impact for others. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I talk to organizational leaders all the time and they're, they're talking about their net promoter scores and their reputations and things like that. And I say, it's a very simple formula. Reputation is a simple formula. It's the average of the sum, it's the sum of the positive and negative experiences you create divided by the total number of experiences that you create throughout your organization. And your people create millions of them every single day to construct your reputation as a person. And so those little things every day that you may not know make a difference, make a profound difference. You know, sometimes I'm doing, when I do experience design, customer experience training, I share with them the research that finds just 7% of what people learn from us comes from the actual words we say. 38% comes from the tone, our tone of voice, the rest from just nonverbal interaction. Like you all listening right now, if I were to say, purpose is really important. And then I would give you a survey that says, do you think purpose is important? And then you would probably say no. But if I would say, hey, purpose is really important, you would have a qualitatively different response, completely opposite, just on little intonations. That is the power of you know, designing experiences with those little things in mind. Those little things are what combine to create our reputations. And ultimately, as you said, if our reputation is hinged on delivering a big other-centered purpose, yeah. it delivers our impact. So what do you hope to accomplish through this book, The Invisible Leader? I hope to, you know, we have been mis-socialized to believe that things motivate us as people, that results motivate us, that other people motivate us. But there's a paradox because we've known, you know, since the early 19th century that one of the people's primary drivers is the search for meaning and purpose. And yet we've still created, you know, I work at a college and university and we know that students are searching for meaning and an impact, yet we still uh, say, hey, you come here and you'll get that job. You know, we still say, hey, get this grade, get this, put this on your resume. We, in companies, we know that people search for meaning, but we measure them by arbitrary sales goals and money alone, even the quote unquote purposeful companies. So what I hope to do is to, to Get people to see that when all people have an other-centered purpose, that we can inspire a society and a world. And there are big world problems that need solving. And if we can get people in the places where they spend 40 to 50% of their lives, start looking up beyond themselves, 
I think that business and organizations can be a major force for social change. And so I hope to give people the tools to, to make that shift, not to give themselves more success, again, because that wouldn't be purposeful, but to inspire others and the success will follow. Wow. All right. I'm loving this. You're listening to Zach Mercurio talk about his new book, The Invisible Leader. Zach, where do people find it? It's available on Amazon. Uh, so you can go to Amazon, uh, The Invisible Leader. There's a Kindle version. There's a hard copy version. Uh, it's also on Books A Million, uh, really any of your favorite retailers. So you can check that out there. There's also um, some workbooks that are on my website now that are associated with it. There's a group discussion guide as well at ZachMercurio.com. And uh, it really helps you bring this into action. And that's my goal also is to, you know, a lot of this purpose stuff is stimulating, but the practicing, and we were talking earlier, the habits that you can develop, that's where the transformation starts. So if you're stimulated by this conversation today, start thinking about how can I infuse the habits that will lead to transformation? And that's what it's all about. Okay. So I love this. I love the, 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 the desire to stimulate action and, and the desire to just encourage people to make small daily habits that have this ultimately huge transformational effect. And for folks that just want to get more of Zach, where do they go? They can go to, they can go to ZachMercurio.com, Z-A-C-H-M-E-R-C-U-R-I-O.com or on the blog. I write and write about this regularly, all of these things, these insights, tips, research on purposespeaks.com. So P-U-R-P-O-S-E and then speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And that's right. my blog. Before we wrap up, share with me, who's, who's someone besides Mary, besides the cab driver, you don't know, who's a hero in your journey to purpose or who's a mentor that's helped you along your way? Gosh, there's so many, you know, I would say right now in, in this purpose space, you know, one of my, well, actually, you know, it's an unlikely hero, but I would say, you know, Simon Sinek, what he has done in terms of positioning, you know, starting with why mm -hmm. in a very simple message, positioning in the mainstream of stirring our culture up a little bit has been really remarkable. I mean, I, I think his message is inspiring, you know, the, in start with why. But his 28.3 million views is even more inspiring because it shows how much people are yearning for this. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people out there like you and I and other people who are picking up where he leaves off and showing how to turn this into action. But he is someone who's a big thought leader but has, I'm really grateful for, who's put this message into the mainstream. Yeah. And so if you want to take this message more mainstream in your organization, get the book or connect with Zach and find ways to engage and invite Zach into your organization, you will be glad you did. Zach, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kevin. All, that's always stimulating. You know, you got me thinking, so I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Zach, for joining us for this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Let me share a couple of takeaways that, that impacted me through our conversation. Number one was, was the talk about the architecture of purpose and how sometimes you need to descend or you need to go back to find the origins, get to the roots. Number two, I love this question in the discussion we had of imagining your impact every single day and asking yourself 
What have I done to change the world or make the world a better place today? And then finally, I love this, that, that ordinary people with extraordinary perspectives, so much of work could be mundane. It's ordinary. But when you have an extraordinary perspective, it is transformed. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Join us next episode where we talk with Clay Scroggins about his new book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Remember, you were meant for more. Why settle for less? If you feel like you don't have purpose at work or you want to clarify your purpose at work, we have a free five-day email course you can take with daily challenges and action steps to help bring the meaning you are meant to have in your everyday life. Go to kevinmonroe.com slash work purpose.